6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Proverbs, chapters 5 through 9. A naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a froward mouth. He winketh with his eyes, he speaketh with his feet, he teacheth with his fingers. This is a description of a wicked person, a son of Belial. And uh, proward, prowardness, fro, excuse me, frowardness is really um, perverseness is the easiest way, is the term we would use. And this guy that is this, he winketh with his eyes, speaketh with his feet, teaches with his fingers. He is full of double meanings. That's a danger signal. Be careful. That means he's less than straightforward. Perverseness is in his heart. He, de he devises mischief continually. He soweth discord. That's another flag that's raised here. We're going to see that all through the book of Proverbs. That um, he soweth discord. Watch out for those that sow discord. It's an it's a, it's a advanced symptom you want to be alert to. Solomon continues, Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly, suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. You don't want to be yoked with him, he's not your partner. There are six things the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. This is a strange construction that you frequently see in the Bible. There are six things, or yet seven. It's, 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 it sounds strange to our ears, but it's a way of emphasis. There are six, no, not even that, there are seven. Okay. It's interesting to see the order, the word the seven is not divine, it's complete. Many people say seven means divine. No, it means complete because Satan has seven heads and so forth. But anyway, um, each one of these things the Lord... By the way, did you know the Lord hates? That shocks me. I thought we had a God of love. Yes, we do. But he's also a God that hates certain things. We need to understand his buying habits. We need to understand his preferences. Very important. And um, each one of these things that he hates are descriptions of the flesh. Our descriptions of the flesh. Um, they reveal the total depravity of the species. What are they? A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. That's quite a list. That's quite a list. God hates, that catches many people's, uh, and this is not the first mention of that, by the way. Uh, back, the first mention is actually in Psalm 47, uh, the great millennial psalm. Solomon has already told us that in Ecclesiastes 3.8, he says that there's a time to love and a time to hate. In the, God does hate. Deuteronomy 16, neither shalt thou set thee up any image which the Lord thy God hateth. He hates idol worship. He hates, he hates false worship. 
Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness, Psalm 45, and so forth. Okay. So on God's hate list, it's interesting that a proud look is listed, actually what the word in the Hebrew is the eyes of loftiness. He puts it ahead of murder. He puts it ahead of drunkenness. Why does God so hate a proud look? Why is that number one on his list of hates? Head of murder and other things. Because that's where, it all, that's where all the problems started. Job 40, verse 12, Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low, tread down the wicked in their place. In Isaiah 14, we learn about Satan. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation of the sides of the earth. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan's pride is where it all began. And when we have a proud look, we're reflecting Satan. That's why God hates it. Okay, the second one's a lying tongue. I'm sure that doesn't involve anyone here in this room. Psalm 116 says, I said in my haste, all men are liars. Psalm 120, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Psalm 51, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth, and so on. The next one is hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. We could go and elaborate each one of these. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, fault witnesses, blasphemies, and so forth. That's at Matthew 15. It's out of the heart. That's what God hates, that because our heart devises wicked imaginations. Feet swiftly running to mischief. And uh, God is dealing here, of course, with the anatomy of mischief and, and uh, evil iniquity. It doesn't just the feet, it's the eyes and the hands, the heart, and so forth. And Isaiah you know, said, thy feet run to, uh, to evil, make haste to shed innocent blood, and so on. A false witness that speaketh lies. It's astonishing to see perjury so prevalent in the highest office of the land in the last several administrations and elsewhere. Bad examples. He that sows discord among the brethren. It's interesting how this one is sort of the climactic one of the bunch, sowing discord. Proverbs 13.10 will tell us, only by pride cometh contention. Think about that for a minute. Only by pride cometh contention. You have contention going on? Pride is at the root of that. But with well-advised is wisdom. Only by pride cometh contention. That's why Jesus can say, blessed are the peacemakers. A fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calls for strokes. <laughs> Sounds like out of a psychology course, doesn't it? And cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease, Proverbs 22. We'll encounter these as we get through the book, but we'll find this is a recurring echo throughout the book, the whole idea of pride and contention being linked. My son, my, thy, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp. The law is a light, the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. The whole issue here is to pursue life and to avoid those things that will destroy you. That's really the preachment here 
of Solomon to his son. Sexual sins, we, uh, we said we're disappointed. It also results in losses. It's not a gain, it's a loss. That's what Proverbs 6 is all about. You'll notice how it's shifted from business talk, so to speak, back to avoiding the most serious kinds of losses. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. And the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. You know, we don't think of it that way, but the Bible clearly talks of it that way. That that is a lure to our death. The whorish woman. Matthew 5, I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Danger, danger, danger. And he goes on to amplify this. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go on hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever touches her, shall not be innocent. Heavy words, heavy words. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he's hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman, lacketh understanding, he that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. What he's doing here, setting aside the sevenfold or the other rules in the law for the moment, what he's really saying here is someone that's a thief will pay, and maybe seven times is what he took. Okay, that's not even compared to someone who commits adultery. It's pointing out adultery is worse than a thief. That's really what it says, in effect, because you're destroying your own soul. There is a, and you avoid adultery or fornication not just because of the threat of venereal disease, the threat of AIDS, or the threat of being caught by an ang you know, angry husband or that. No, there's something much more serious going on. That's in your own soul. Your own spiritual future is, a, is, is clouded by that. A wound and dishonor shall he get, his approach shall not be wiped away, for jealousy is the rage of a man. Therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he be rest content, though thou givest many gifts. It also indicates that sexual sin results in losses. We talked about that, they, they lose the word of God. And uh, it's interesting, in 1 John 1, it says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the famous bar of soap. This is what we often call the Christian's bar of soap, is verse 9, 1 John 1, 9. Very important promises for if we confess our sins, He, Jesus Christ, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and guess what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is our bar of soap. You've messed up, great. Number one, you stop it, you admit it, you own it, don't make excuses, confess it, and He'll forgive you and cleanse you. If you're in a situation right now, that you know you need to get out of, get out of it right now. And here's your path. Confess your sin. To confess it, you've got to admit it. 
You don't, you don't uh, mitigate it with excuses. You confess it as sin. And it's God's faithfulness you can count on. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do more than that, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a promise. But the part that's also part of the picture here is do it now. Do it now. Sexual sin results in losses. They lose the word of God. They lose wealth. It, uh, they lose enjoyment. They lose all their good sense. Each of these verses support these. This is just a summary of the chapter we've seen so far. And they lose their peace. So let's jump to 7. We have a very descriptive chapter, <laughs> chapter 7 coming here. The lure of the harlot. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live in my law as an apple of thine eye. Bind, and some people think the apple of thine eye is the iris being open. But let's let that go. Um, and my law is the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers. Write them upon the table of thine heart. It's not talking about wrapping uh, phylacteries. It's talking about make, have it translate into action. Write them on the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, Thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with their words. And then he, he, there's a description here uh, as he goes on. For at the window of my house I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones. I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding, who, passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house. First mistake. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. See, there's two different things here. It's twilight in terms of time of day, but it's the black. He's, he's walking in darkness. That's the other prescription here. And behold, there met him a woman with a, the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. She is, now she's without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. She's soliciting. So she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face said to him, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. See, she's religious. <laughs> That's interesting. And she leads him to believe that she's right with the Lord. I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. I've been looking for you all my life, in effect, right? At last I found you, she's saying. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry and with carved works with fine linen in Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. For the good man is not at home. He has gone a long journey. He hath taken a bag of money with him and he will come home at the day appointed. So it's safe, huh? With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield and the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway. And get the description here, as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken to me now, therefore, O ye children, attend to the words of my mouth, let not thine heart decline to her ways, go not astray in her paths, for she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. I don't know how the scripture could use any stronger language. And the loss of his life, his physical life, isn't the biggest loss. There's deeper issues yet. 
It's the path to destruction. Notice in Proverbs 7, he first he tempts himself. He, 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 he tempted himself. He, he, went, he went the wrong places. He's either terribly dumb or very proud. And they're very close cousins. Convinced that he can play with sin and get away with it. We are all guilty of doing that in some way or another. The rules don't quite apply to us right now for whatever reason. But he's only kidding himself and heading for trouble, obviously. And he's out at night. He's walking in darkness. And he's deliberately walking near the place of temptation and danger. One of the ways you, you avoid this thing is to flee it from the beginning. Don't get caught into it. He's out at night. That's the first point. Walking in darkness. He's tempted then by the woman. That's phase two. And uh, she's preparing a feast for him that he'll never forget. <laughs> and of course, she, she, no one will find out about it. <laughs> Except there is somebody watching it. It isn't her husband. It's God. And then he tempts the Lord. And that may sound strange. But see, our society today smiles, to say it mildly, at sexual sin. That is society's way of thumbing its nose at God. There are things going on in our culture that are putting us on a collision course with God. When we talk that way, right away we think of our policies towards the Middle East and how that's on a collision course with God. There are deeper issues right here at home that are doing the same thing. When we approve of sin or encourage it, our entertainment industry celebrates it, promotes it, and exports it throughout the world. We tempt God every time we disobey Him. And, and every time we put ourselves in situations that only God can deliver us from. When we get ourselves in a situation that only God can deliver us from, we're tempting God. I want to talk a little, bit about her, a little bit now about Hebrew hermeneutics to remind you, for those of you that have studied our background, in the Hebrew you have four levels of any text. The Peshat is the direct literal meaning. The Remez, the rabbis call, that's the, an allegorical significance or a hint of something deeper. There's the Darash, which is the homiletical or practical application. Uh, these three levels we have are parallels in the Christian hermeneutics. The direct level... Then, the, then usually the practical and then the allegorical. It's usually the way we would list it. The Hebrews list it this way because they have a third one called the sod. That's the mystical hidden meaning. And they put it in this order because they use pardes as a, a mnemonic, which the word means garden or paradise. It can be either, either one. But the PRDS is a way to, they can keep it straight. Although if we were doing it, we'd probably take remes and derash and trade places. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, in the Hebrew, to the Hebrew mind, prophecy is pattern. And they look at structure often for several levels of meaning. And there is a fourth level of possibility here called the mystical meaning of the three chapters we read about sexual purity. Seems very straightforward, very practical, and I don't want to take away from the reality that you and I are confronting by hitting this head on. But there's a sword level or mystical level of Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. And I'm not going to develop it. I'm going to allude it to you, and you can do your own study and come to your own conclusions. Solomon, of course, was known as the collector of dark sentences. We saw that mentioned in the, in the Psalms and the Proverbs, and we'll come across that later in the book again. The harlot can be viewed as Babylon. And uh, that involves Nimrod, the hunter of men, the first world dictator. 
and the legends of, of Semiramis and Tammuz uh, uh, are legends that have the roots in Babylon. And every December 25th, we celebrate the Babylonian legends with Christmas and in the spring with Ishtar. These are not Christian. They're pagan in their root origins. In the 3rd century and following, you don't find Christmas on a calendar before the 4th century A.D. Did you know that? Christmas was an adaptation of pagan holidays with Christian trappings. And uh, you want to find out about Christmas, if you want to find out Christmas trees, look at Jeremiah 10 and so forth. And um, the, uh, uh, we know that Jesus was not born in the winter because the, the flocks were in open field, which means it couldn't have been later than October. And uh, so forth and so on. Christmas actually has its roots in pagan holidays. And uh, Easter, the same thing. Ishtar was the, and the golden egg of Astarte and all that was part of the fertility rites of the spring. That's how rabbits who are symbols of fertility and eggs are. And so that's how you have rabbit Easter bunnies that lay eggs. You wonder how that happened. They don't lay. Anyway, that's all a commingling of ancient pagan legends. And you and I should not, there's no harm, I think, in celebrating around Christmas time in the sense of celebrating the birth of our Lord, recognize, as long as we've done a little bit of homework and understand the background. And you do, certainly don't talk about Easter. You should talk about Passover. And so you want to build your calendar on biblical terms, understand the Jewish calendar and the, and the pr prophetic ways it relates to Jesus Christ. But we'll move on. The other thing you need to realize, fornication all through the Scripture isn't just sexual sins. It deals with spiritual unchastity. And all idol worship tracks back to Babylon. And so you can build a, a justification that the sword level of chapters 5, 6, and 7 that we just read are, in effect, um, uh, allusions spiritually to Babel. But let's us move on. There's no, see, this, you see, we talk about the New Age. There's nothing new about the New Age. It's just a modern packaging of ancient Babylon. But let's us go on. Let's, this, is the, this, is the, this is the dessert. Okay, We've been through the dark stuff. Let's jump into chapter 8. This is wisdom's chapter. What's it all about? Jesus told you that in Psalm 40, verse 7. In the volume of the book, it is written of whom? Jesus Christ. Every page is about Jesus Christ. Well, chapter 8, it really comes forward. Let's read chapters 8 and just zim through it. It's a, it's a fabulous chapter. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of the high places by the way, in the places of the paths. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, and coming in at the doors. O oh, you, unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O ye simple, understand wisdom. O ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Now, let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 3. Very interesting argument goes on here by Paul. He says, Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel should not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament which veil is done away in Christ. Remember, Moses so they wouldn't recognize that he'd lost that radiance. He wore a veil for a while, so they wouldn't recognize that. He's making an allusion there, but he says their, mind, their, their minds are blinded. For until this day there remaineth the same veil, untaken away, in the reading of the Old Testament. The Jews can't understand, right? Why can't they read the Old Testament and see Jesus Christ? Which veil is, the veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Have you ever noticed that? So it's describing. Well, I want you to notice verse 16. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. What is the, what is the word it referring to? The last 
alluded to noun, which is their heart. When their heart shall turn to the Lord, the veil will be lifted. Isn't that interesting? Where is their heart? Is it in pride of their past? Blinder. Is it open? And is their heart right with the Lord? God will lift the veil and they'll see Jesus Christ. And I'm, uh, I have fellowship with a dear friend, Jewish background, who now recognizes that every page of the Old Testament speaks of Jesus. He's the one that points out to me things that most people, most commentators have missed. The, the veil's been taken away. Praise God. That's true of all of us. We need to have our heart right with the Lord. The rest will take care of it. Proverbs 8 continuing. Here, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be the right things. For my mouth shall speak truth. And wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing froward or perverse in them. That's a pretty interesting phrase. There's nothing perverse or uh, forward or perverse in them. God is straightforward. Any conjecture that implies that God is twisting or sort of cheating some way, rhetorically, is wrong. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. Praise God for that. What a comfort that is. Receive my instruction, not silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may, may be desired are not to be compared to it. I, wisdom, oh really, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Boy, boy, boy. See, if we belong to the Lord, we'll hate the same things. Let's not get confused. We hate the evil. We should not hate the evildoer. We get that mixed up. The Lord died for homosexuals. We should hate homosexuality but love the homosexual. You see the difference? We often get that backwards. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Proverbs. Download the K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the iTunes or Android app store, or search K-House TV on your Roku streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, May God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.